How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. I'm excited to welcome longtime entrepreneur and business coach, Jim Palmer, back to the show to talk about his seventh book, which is called Just Say Yes, Create a Dream Business and Live Your Dream Lifestyle. Jim, it's so wonderful to connect with you again. Well, it's an honor to be on your show again. Thanks for having me on, Hemda. I have to say, I was really struck by the title of your book, and I'm curious to hear more about the strategies you're conveying through that title. To me, Just Say Yes seems like an invitation that prompts a shift even before someone starts to read your book. It's, a, it's as if it's blinking in neon and inviting people in. You know, it's interesting. People have told me, because I do a lot of interviews, and people have told me whenever I, I put a book out, like, stop waiting for it to get easier or decide. It's okay to be scared. They said your book titles could almost just stand on themselves. <laughs> and, you know, Just Say Yes is... It's really one of the things that I think holds a lot of entrepreneurs back from truly achieving uh, high levels of success so they could you know, really have both time freedom, financial freedom, is they're always waiting for something to be better or something to be perfect or the stars to align or waiting for an election or, or waiting for whatever they're waiting for before they kind of put themselves out there. And whether that means, you know, investing or or just, you know, becoming a speaker, writing a book or do whatever it whatever it involves, it's because they they they're just waiting for things to be right and or when they're presented with an opportunity, they want to think about it, you know, for till the cows come home, I guess. And sometimes you just need to say yes and move forward and you know there's another there's another expression that goes with just say yes it's jump and and figure out how to fly on the way down it's like a light that goes on inside you that indicates that all of this is in the realm of possibility that it's something that's really up to you in so many ways yes now you know that um so Stephanie and I, you know, we sold our house and we bought a big boat and we're going to be living aboard for, you know, a year and a half, a few years, whatever whatever and when when we made that decision to just do it, of course, we said yes, but then what happens is the I don't know if it's the left side or right side of your brain, but it's the side of your brain that really speaks about you know being cautious and is this the right thing to do and you know your mind starts playing the what if game and and you know what if everything goes wrong because you know i'm fifty nine hemda and there's no financial planner in the world that would say when you're approaching, you know, your retirement age, you should put the kind of money we put into this boat. That's like the least, <laughs> it's like the least safest investment you could make. But, you know, all these different what if scenarios, you know, that we we're thinking about, well, what if I don't get internet in the boat and I can't, I can't work with my clients or do interviews. And what if, you know, something happens to the boat or what if I get sick? Who knows? And then, you know, there comes to be a point you say, well, yeah, there, you could what if yourself to death, whether in business or in life, but sometimes you just need to say yes and figure it out every day. I read this really great book when we were thinking about it from somebody else who became a liveaboard. That's the 
kind of the terminology when you live full time on a boat. And he said, yeah, what it, you know, it holds a lot of people back. They think it's glamorous and romantic to live on a boat. But what holds most people back is, well, what if I sink? What if I hit somebody? Or what if I run out of gas? What if I run into major difficulties? What if I can't drive the, the boat and, you know, look like an idiot? And he says, yeah, but what if you can drive the boat? And what if every day you wake up and you encounter another challenge or a question or something and you figure out how to do it? What if you learn some mechanical skills you didn't know you had? And what if you do say yes and you go on a big adventure and you just have that adventure to cherish for, you know, as long as you're alive? And when I read that book, I knew that's that was speaking to me, which is kind of the power of writing books. But that was that spoke to me in a very big way. And from that moment on, uh, I never really doubted or I never doubted that we were going to do it. Of course, your mind, I still want to learn how to t- be a better boat driver and, and different things. But I knew I was going to do it and I, I wouldn't back out. It's interesting because you present those different what-if scenarios. The The first place maybe that our minds might go is things that could go wrong, as you were suggesting. And then the other place is about finding the resources within you Basically, the knowledge and wisdom within you that you can do so many things, really feeling that empowerment. It really is. When we, so Stephanie and I, uh, we moved on the boat April 15th. We spent two weeks at our, our home port or hailing port, as they call it, in, in uh, Chesapeake City, Virginia, uh, Maryland. And then we, we drove the boat, I think about 420 nautical miles, up to Rhode Island, where we're going to spend the summer to be near our, our daughter and grandkids. And we had never driven a boat out in the ocean before. I've never been in a boat in the ocean other than a giant ferry going to Martha's Vineyard or something like that. And when we were coming into New York, we hit some really pretty big waves and high winds. And it was, it was, it was rattling our nerves for sure. And, but you know what? For, for days after we, after we made it to Rhode Island, we're like, can you believe what we just did? And I think the feeling that we had, it, it was a lot like, becoming an entrepreneur for me. It was like the feeling we had was, man, we just really did something that was pretty far outside of our comfort zone. We've been very blessed the last several years, especially with the growth of my business. And so things have been really good, but I don't think we've been really stretching ourselves and doing this adventure and and learning how to live on the boat and do all these different things is really a pretty big stretch outside of what our normal life has looked like for so long. And it feels really good. I mean, it, you know, the question, oh boy, I really feel alive. You know, people say you jump out of plane, you feel alive. I don't know. Don't, I don't think I'll ever do that, but I felt really alive in this new and in, in, in the way we're living our lives right now. I was thinking about that actually before our conversation today, how wonderful it is when you get to experience yourself in a different way when you get to do something differently, when you achieve a breakthrough around something, and then you reach the place where you can share that with other people. So it's, it's wonderful to be able to, to hear from you also that you did that as an entrepreneur, and then you f- kind of felt like you got into a place where you were in a nice groove with it, and you felt like you wanted to rekindle that again. And you know what's interesting is, and I'm I, I'm a man of faith and I believe everything happens for a reason. And I think this is actually making me a better coach uh, because when I think of, you know, I've always been pretty, um, uh, I don't know, forceful. Sometimes I call it tough love and pushing people to do things that they may not be, whether it's speaking or writing a book or doing videos, I'm always really, really pushing people to do more. And by the same token, you know, even though I've done all of those things that I 
prescribed them to do, it feels good for me to be able to tackle something really big and to do something bold, you know, a bigger, bolder, faster is kind of the original title I thought the book might be about. And um, I think for me to be able to do this and to point to it and say, yeah, I know what it's like to step outside your comfort zone. I know what it's like to put a, a lot of a lot of things on the line. And, you know, we we sold our house. We sold one of our cars. We put most of our furniture in storage. And we basically have our boat in one car right now. And, and that's quite different from the lifestyle we've had. So I know what it's like to do something that might be considered risky. So in a way, I, I think it's really actually, you know, not only in our personal life, but helping me be a better coach. It makes sense that you have that fresh empathy and ability to relate to what it feels like when you, you haven't kind of gotten it together yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jim, I know that what if is an important theme for you and it's chapter four of your book. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because when you were speaking about the what ifs that come to mind in terms of things that can impede people from moving forward, it sounds like those what ifs also could be the basis for a preparation plan, an action plan to help you to actually do what it is that you're aspiring to do. Right. So what if we're all raised, you know, maybe a little differently, but, you know, you hear a lot of things like don't touch that, that's hot or whatever. So there's a lot of things that we will steer us away from something that could hurt us or just something painful. You know, your your parents want to prevent you to whatever degree they can from being hurt or harmed even emotionally and things like that. But the thing is, if you want to, if you want to grow a a very successful business or the way a dream business, as I call it, you have to be willing to do things that are going to be very, in my opinion, very much outside your comfort zone. Like I teach the million dollar platform, which are all these different ways that you can brand yourself and then market yourself and, and attract, make yourself attractive to uh, prospective clients. And I know for a lot of people, writing a book is way outside their wheelhouse and, and becoming a speaker, whether it's in front of 30 people or 300 is pretty far outside most people's comfort zone. And even doing videos or, or doing your own podcast, one of these, um, the, and all this, Hemd, I think, falls under the, the broad category of fear, and that holds a lot of people back. And I think what's rooted in fear is something called perfectionism. And I think perfectionism is not only a progress killer, it can be a business killer because it's, it'll hold people will be not moving forward un, until they feel like everything is just perfect. And, and there really is no such thing as, as perfect. So one of the strategies, you know, when, when people think of the what if game, one of the things you can do is you just have to decide that, yes, but what if it, and then you do the opposite. So what if I get on stage and I completely flub it and I embarrass myself? Yes, but what if you get on stage and you inspire and motivate people and, and, and possibly have them want to hire you for whatever you do? <laughs> you know, so you can flip the what if where your knee-jerk reaction might be the negative, just flip it in your mind and always come back to, yeah, but what if it really works pretty well? You know what I mean? So that's one of the strategies. And probably the sister strategy to that is you have to make a decision, first of all, to accept that you're not perfect. But second of all, you have to decide that you're going to choose to be judged on the value of the work and the content that you put out there and not the imperfect way in which you'll, you will likely deliver it, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because you know better than anyone else what progress means for you. Yeah. I mean, when I wrote, I wrote my first book, it took me a year and a half. And, and 
reality, I wrote it in about a year. It took me six months to get the courage to publish it. And then, because I was, oh, my name's going to be on it. I don't want people to, to think I can't spell or have bad grammar <laughs> or whatever. And um, and I, my last uh, three books were written in, in under 60 days. And in each case, I have, I have become comfortable knowing that while I do work with a really, really skilled editor and, and I know the books are, I think they're really, really good books. I have no illusions at all that they're error free. In fact, I'm sure there's some grammar miss commas or on some page instead of S-O-N, it might be S-U-N, which, you know, Microsoft Word's not going to pick up or whatever. But I, I choose to put that book out there anyway, because I know the content and the value that's in that book is going to help a lot of people. And for those people who are uh, English majors and, and want to hang me out to dry for, in, in some cases, uh, bastardizing the English language, well, that's just, that's just somebody that I'm not really going to uh, hold their opinion in high regard. So it seems like you're encouraging listeners and anyone you work with to put their evolution out there, that it's okay for people to see how you're evolving in your skills, in your knowledge. The whole point is in terms of improvement and evolution that you have to really put yourself in a visible place also where you get a chance to receive feedback. I like the way you said that. I like the word evolving, Hemda, because if you were to look at, so I've been doing videos, I, I don't know how many I've done for like six years. I'm on my fifth year of my podcast. And if you were to go back and watch the first few videos or the, listen to the first podcast compared to where I am today, and today is not fabulous, but it's pretty good. But if you look at the first ones, man, thank goodness I have evolved and, and gotten better with time. The thing that's interesting, so people go, well, maybe I'll just practice and I won't launch until I really get good. No, you don't want to do that. See, what attracts people to you and what helps build trust and want and, and what helps people want to do business with you is something called authenticity. So if you put yourself out there as Mr. or Mrs. Perfect and most people feel they're not, they're going to feel a slight disconnect. And what's really attractive to a, to a, a lot of people is when they're when they feel a connection to somebody, first of all, based on what they know or the skill or talent that they can have. But what the real connection is based on is say, wow, they're, they're kind of like me. So if you, if you do go out and show yourself, not only for the value and the intelligence or the business acumen that you have, but maybe you're a real person and, and you occasionally screw up a word or just, you know, things like that, that makes you real. So there's a real power in being authentic. I would guess it also dispels some of the fear and concern that we might have about people judging us. When you actually get that practice and continuing to show yourself. Yeah, that, that is something that uh, – there's an expression, you have to be immune to criticism because you could, you could do everything 100% correctly. You could be 1,000% right with your thoughts, your facts, your opinions at least. Far, and there, there will be people who will disagree with you, right? And there, there's going to be some vocal people, especially with social media. I think social media gives people – you know, there's an expression that if you drink, you get beer muscles. You know what I mean? I think social media gives people muscles. They say things they would never say to somebody face-to-face. -face. And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff that can happen to people people when they put themselves out there and share an opinion. And you just have to be immune to criticism because most of the time, I would say the criticism that's going to come your way is coming from people who are either jealous or have not achieved what you've achieved. And they're, they wanna, they'd rather tear you down than build themselves up. Right. So that's the whole process, I guess, to learn how to also receive 
the inputs that you're getting from other people once you put yourself out there. And some people won't put themselves out there just because they don't want to go through that whole process. It's definitely a, an issue with their self-confidence or self-esteem. But I, I would say that, first of all, there are things you can do because I had horrible self-confidence, self-esteem when I started my business. I mean, I'd been through a, just a wreck of, of 15 months. But the thing is, you just you have to learn to accept yourself for who you are. And I know that's a struggle for some people. And if you're going to put yourself out there and, and social media and videos and books and be a speaker and, and you know, be a thought leader, whatever that looks like, you, uh, I forget, um, somebody said, oh, I know Dan Kennedy said one time, the higher up the flagpole you go, the more your butt's going to hang out. In other words, the more success you achieve, you go up the ladder, so to speak, the more more people will look at you and obviously they're looking up. So it's kind of a funny expression. I added something to that. I said, yeah, but it's okay because the view is better up there. So when you start achieving higher levels of success, there's going to be more people that want to take pot shots at you, but it's okay. In reality, the only opinions that you should really care about are the opinions of your paying customers. Right. The people whose needs you're meeting, there's something in you that they relate to, something that you've achieved that they're looking to learn from. Yes, exactly. Is there anything more that you would say regarding fear? Because I know that you you have also in chapter two of your book, you talk about both fear and forgiveness. Yeah, I call it the two F words. And fear is one and forgiveness is the other. And I've actually learned this probably in the last three years. I've coached some a lot of people and there's a, probably two or three of my clients that um, didn't want to do something uh, or hesitated to whether it was investing or doing something. And when I really started digging, I I started finding out at the root of their uh, ambivalence was the fact that they had either spent money and it was a waste or they tried doing this or tried doing that or worked with somebody and it didn't work. So at the root of that, they felt bad that they made bad choices or bad decisions or they spent money and something didn't work out. And I say, well, that's just part of the deal. I mean, you're if you think you're going to jump and and do everything correctly the minute you start your business, that's not reality. What's really important is that you don't let the missteps or the mistakes that you've made in the past hold you back from moving forward. I mean, we've all heard about uh, Thomas Edison. Would it take him like a thousand times to invent the light bulb? Now, I don't know if that's folklore or not, but it sure took him more than one time. (laughs) And if it took him 200 times, whatever it took him, if he had stopped, I mean, we'd all be in the dark right now. But so making mistakes, I I believe, is almost a badge of honor because the only people that are making mistakes are those people that are actually doing something. And even if you watch Shark Tank and things like that, you see – highly successful people, they will often say, you know, we, we have a lot of mistakes in our past, but sometimes you have wins and the wins are so big, it just covers up your past mistakes. So you got to forgive yourself and move on. That seems like such a crucial point, especially for those who are just entering entrepreneurship or those maybe who gave it a try for a little while and then decided not to pursue it, but maybe thinking about it again. That's par for the course. It's actually part of the trail that you're going to be making mistakes. And that's the whole point. That's the only way actually that you can be successful in what you're doing. And everything, including marketing, is like that. So someone say, well, Jim, should I, um, 
use this landing page or this one, or should I do this or that? And I says, well, you're going to have to do both. And if your budget's $100 or if your budget's $1,000, you want to take half your budget and send it to this page and half of it to this page, or try this ad or, and then try a different picture. Use a guy instead of a girl or change the headline. I mean, that's called testing. And w- when you do that, you'll find one ad will outperform the other one. And in marketing, that becomes what's called the control. So the one that's always doing best, that's the control. And then what you do is you take your control, which is working really well, and you change one thing. could be a color, could be a word, a headline, it could be a picture. And then you see if that one outperforms it. You're, what you're trying to do is always outperform w- whatever your current best is. And that's the only way you're going to know. If you just do one thing, you'll never know. And so if you looked at somebody who did a lot of marketing and you say, well, let's say in a year, somebody spent like $100,000 and 50000 of it worked and 50000 didn't, but now they can move forward in year two and put more money behind what they know works. Somebody could say, yeah, but you just w- wasted fifty grand." Well, that's not, a, that's not even close to true because if you hadn't done those testings, you, you could have just spent hundred grand on, on the, the ad that didn't work at all. And then you'd say, yeah, marketing's, marketing stinks. I'm not going to do anymore. You know, you do know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like it ties into what you were saying about perfectionism, is that there's not really one perfect strategy. The idea is that you have to explore a variety of strategies and see what comes back, because sometimes that will surprise you. And this is a strategy around not just becoming successful in your business, but actually sustaining success in your business. That's true. Even becoming a speaker. So when I, when I knew, and believe me, I was dragged kicking and screaming. I did not want to be a public speaker. And I, I think of my first times, I think one of the first times I spoke was in northern New Jersey. And I went there and there's like 30 people, man, I was, I was just like beside myself with anxiety. And that speech today was horrible. And the next one was a little less horrible. And as I've gone more and more and more, I keep refining how I talk, what I say, where I pause, pictures I might show, examples. I'm, and I keep bettering and bettering and bettering. So today, I mean, I would say I'm a pretty darn good speaker, but I could not just say, okay, I'm going to be a speaker and become a good speaker. You have to be willing to make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes and just keep adjusting and course correcting as you go. Since this is such an important topic, Jim, for entrepreneurs speaking, making themselves visible, connecting with people, how would you say for you in terms of the anxiety, what do you think helped you to work through that? I write about all of that in my book, Decide, but I can touch on it here. I'm kind of an, I go all in. So, I mean, I I remember I took the Dale Carnegie program. I did uh, positive affirmations. I went to a hypnotist. Uh, I, I practiced when I, when I had my first real big, big talk in front of like about 110 very successful entrepreneurs. That was probably the most nerve wracking I can remember. And I practiced that for like 90 days. That was a speech that was like, you know, at least 90 days in the future that I said yes to. And every single day, sometimes twice a day or three times a day as I got closer, I practiced and practiced and I could have done that. I could have done that in my sleep. 
And it turned out really, really well. So, I mean, you know, a lot of times what they say is you got to practice and know your subject. Well, that's true, but you also got to practice and practice because when you get up there, really the, the worst part is for me anyway, it's that 30 seconds to a minute when you know you're about to go on. So whether somebody's introducing you or, or when I do my own live events, there's a video. I know when I'm like, okay, I am going on in about 30 seconds and there's no turning back. That's like sometimes you get some jitteries, but because I know my subject, subject matter so well. If I just get rolling and I blow past the first minute, two minutes, three minutes, I'm off to the races. It's that first little, and that's where the that's where the pr- practice is so important because in a way, it's visualization. I know what I'm going to say. I know what the audience is going to look like. I know how I'm going to turn my head and look around. And if you rehearse it enough times, it'll become, I don't want to say semi-robotic, but it, it becomes second nature to you. And most people that I've ever talked to, if they have some nerves, it's usually at the very beginning. And once you start rolling, the nerves settle down. So that's why it's important to practice. And I mean, like, if I was giving an hour presentation, I would practice that entire hour several, several times. Right. So there's a lot of investment in time. And it it seems what you're describing is a process of authenticity, really, because you're doing it until it becomes you. And there's an integration that happens where it just feels natural because it just become a part of who you are. It feels like you're offering something that's very much real for you and true for you. Yes. And, you know, there's there's several different types of talks. I mean, there's like a keynote address or there's a talk where you're – if your goal is to get a standing ovation, but then there's what I call sell from the stage where you're doing a presentation where there's going to be an offer. Those are all completely different talks. I mean – 100, 180 degrees opposite each one of them. And so it, you really have to understand the framework of a presentation. So yeah, we, we could do a whole show or a series on, on speaking. And you said that you go into that in more depth in your book, Decide? Yeah, Decide is was my most popular book to this point because it's a significant book to help people that have head trash or, or mindset issues and you know, in my usual writing style, I pretty much reveal all all the ugliness that I went through and and a lot of how I how I got through that. That's such a gift to offer that to people. That was the hardest book to write, by the way. I felt like I was on my therapist couch revealing all the <laughs> all the good, bad, and the ugly. Well, it set you up for just say yes, right? Exactly. That was a fun book to write, by the way. Celebratory. It was. It's it's definitely my most, I would say, inspirational and motivational book. I mean, it's definitely got some, you know, where the rubber meets the road type of uh, strategies and things to do. But it's by far and away one which I think is supposed to take somebody who's kind of standing on the precipice or, or maybe they're a year or two into their business and they're not going too far or they're, something's holding them back. And that would be a good book to read. So we talked about what if. We talked about fear and forgiveness. You also address another theme, success leaves tracks. Success leaves tracks. So it's interesting to me that if you get in your, let's say you somebody calls you a friend on your phone and, hey, let's meet at this restaurant for drinks or dinner. You say, okay. And you get in your car and you push the little button, you go, Siri, where is the XYZ restaurant? And Siri gives you directions or Google Maps or whatever, and you will follow those knowing that it's going to take you there. But yet, when you, when it's something as important as building a business that you have never done before, 
why would you not go to somebody that's got a proven track record, somebody who's already done what it is that you want to do, and 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 you invest in them? Because I do believe you can purchase speed. You can advance the speed in, in which you achieve success. And certainly one of the ways to do that is working with a coach, a coach that can not only tell you what to do, but tell you what not to do, because that can that can shortcut some of the mistakes that we would typically make as an entrepreneur. So success leaves tracks. When you see somebody who's successful, Hemda, whether it's a, an actor or a musician or an athlete, you have to remember you're seeing the finished product. Like in the terms of music, musician, you're not seeing the years and years and years they probably played to an audience of one in a dive bar or something like that. You're, you're not, as an actress who, who's done really, really well, you don't see the dozens of years they waited tables or taxi cabs or whatever. So when you see somebody who ha- has achieved success, you're, you're very close to seeing the finished product. You have to keep that in mind. So, and success does leave tracks. So again, you just want to look for people who have a proven track record of doing what it is that you want to do and then invest in, and, and get some help from those people. I would think that's really an invaluable insight that you offer about looking at the history of what it is that someone goes through before they get to those finished products that we associate them with. And because it converts your perspective of yourself, instead of looking at something as a failure, you're really looking at it as a building block. It's part of the journey. Like if you're in sales, you know you're going to have to knock on doors, you're going to have to make some cold calls, and you're going to have to do X number of calls before you get an appointment, you're going to have to go on X number of appointments before you get a sale. And once you do that and you know the math, that does make it easier, but there's there's no shortcutting that. Everybody's going to have to do that generally when you start a business. Right. It's an opportunity to redirect your strategy, to be informed by the actions that you're taking and the results that you're getting. Yep, I agree with you. And what about the theme that you offer, which sounds really interesting, seesaws, leapfrog, and being childlike? So as I was writing this book, I thought, my goodness, I don't want everybody who's reading it to think you just say yes at everything. <laughs> I mean, not everything is going to be perfectly aligned with your with your vision and your goals for what you want to do in your business. And so this chapter, uh, The Seesaw, is really explaining that sometimes when you say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. And I think most of the people that I know or have worked with, say, for the last dozen years or so, most people are, are working pretty hard. And, you know, they're, they're trying to max out the same 24 hours in a day that we all have. And so if a good opportunity does come along for you to do something or participate in an event or, or speaking and you want to say yes to it and it makes good sense for you to say yes, a lot of times you have to really – it's going to come at the expense of something else. And um, that's that's kind of what the seesaw effect is. So like if you keep piling – you know, let's say, think of a seesaw in the kid's playground. If you have two kids on one side and one on the other, that one that has two kids, that's going to forever be at the bottom, right? So you always have to balance out. You have to balance out your your life and, and how you're running your business. As far as the leapfrog, that means that uh, even though we all start in uh, kindergarten and, and go to grade one, two, three, four, all the way up until high school or higher, 
when you start a business, you, you don't have to hit 50 grand before you hit 100. You don't have to hit 100 before you hit 250 <laughs> in sales. You can go as fast as you want. In other words, you can leapfrog. It's like climbing a ladder. You can skip some rungs if you want to, if you're doing it correctly. And I would suggest that if you follow what I said in our discussion on success leaves tracks and you work with an experienced coach, you will be leapfrogging past other people who are just kind of figuring it out as they go. And the third thing about that chapter being childlike, it's one thing about children. They believe anything is possible and they're not afraid of very many things, right? And I think as we get older, we get a lot more cautious I think entrepreneurs, especially in the early stages of their business, are very childlike because it's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to be successful. Then reality kicks in. You make a few mistakes like we've talked about and you start getting more conservative. And I think to whatever degree that it's possible as you continue to grow your business after you've achieved some success, you want to try and maintain that childlike attitude, which says, yeah, I want to keep doing this. Because a lot of people, once they, they get a staff or they get rent and they, you know, a lot of things happen, then they feel they have a lot more responsibility on their shoulders, so to speak. And so they start getting more cautious. And sometimes that's right. I'm not saying, you, you know, just throw it to the wind, but What you want to remember is what got you to where you are now is probably some uh, unbridled passion, so to speak, that you might find when you're looking at a child. So it seems like you're suggesting that it's important to maintain that movement toward discovery, continuing with that process of rediscovering your business. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is when you start a business, you're very passionate about it. You're excited about it. It's all new. And I think that's by nature, uh, entrepreneurs are creative and they have that, that drive to build. And then guess what happens? If you're, if you're fortunate and you grow a real business, now you've got to turn into a leader and a manager <laughs> and that's where it gets less fun. So every day, instead of going and creating and getting new customers and feeling the excitement of ca- new cash flow. And now every day, you know, you get to a certain point, if you don't, if you don't uh, align your business correctly, every day you go to work and you're like the boss and that isn't a lot of fun. Jim, how do you handle that practically so that you can leave that space to continue feeling really curious about your business and exploring different ways that you might tweak what you do? Well, there's a chapter in the book Decide we talked about. It's called Delegate or Stay Small Forever. I, I, I totally believe to this day and I've been I wrote my first newsletter when I was 21. I totally believe they're effective. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, do am I passionate every day to get up and write a newsletter for somebody? Absolutely not. I think that flame kind of, you know, went down years ago. Not that I don't believe in the effectiveness of them, but I now have a staff and I've trained them. I, I have writers and designers that create the newsletters. And I, you know, especially for the last five or six years as I've grown my dream business coaching program, I focus on that because that lights me up. So like, I, I don't do calls on Monday, but uh, Tuesday is my Monday, so to speak. I don't drudge. Oh, my God. Tomorrow's Tuesday. I got a whole bunch of calls. I look forward to what I'm doing because I'm really excited and I'm passionate about coaching and working with other people and helping them grow their business. So it's important that you do what you what you enjoy doing. And if all the other stuff is still important, you got to find a way to just have that taken care of. So I have a team of 13 assistants that run the various internet businesses. So I I focus exclusively on my time on coaching and um, doing interviews. So you're doing an assessment really of what the needs are in order for your business to run well and what are the areas you want to focus on 
and the ones that you'd like to leave to other people who are really excited about those areas? Yep. I figured out exactly what I need. I know what positions need to be filled. I created all the systems and procedures. So literally, no hassle newsletters, no hassle social media concierge, print mail and demand, custom article generated. They all run, I don't want to say without me. I'm certainly aware of what they're doing, but I don't I don't do the work every day. I have other people doing the work. What about when entrepreneurs are looking at their budgetary parameters and there are concerns about not doing certain things themselves? Like they're saying, well, right now I, I think I need to do this because I need to generate a little bit more revenue before I delegate some of these things. That is called a when I. A when I is somebody who says, I'm going to do that when I. I'll hire a coach when I. I'm going to spend more in marketing when I. I'm going to hire an assistant when I. And the thing is, you can't buy a house unless, you, unless you're willing to take a loan out. So why, even if it requires a loan or borrowing or whatever, if there's something that you can do that will increase the success of your business or speed up the success of your business, why would you not do that? You know, I'm somebody, I believe you cannot save your way out of debt, but you can grow your way out of debt. So for me, I hired my first person, I think it was 2007. Um, and I technically really shouldn't have been able to afford that. And I, I, it, was a, it was a little bit of a leap of faith that if I hired this person to help me in these areas, that would free me up to do other things, which would then bring in money. And then I, then I technically could afford that person. But most times it's putting the cart before the horse and the people who are willing to risk and put the cart before the horse, if, if assuming all the other things are correct, those are the people that will grow. It sounds like the leapfrog approach that you're talking about in the sense that if you can learn from how other business owners have accelerated their progress, although it requires a lot of incremental steps to grow a business, there are still places where you can expedite your advancement if you do take some, what maybe what you would perceive to be a risk. That's right. You know, people that, that join my coaching program, most of them, I would say, would have a feeling and, and most of them express it to me. They say, I just don't know if I can afford this right now. And I say, well, you probably can't. And you know what the hard truth is? If you can't afford it right now, then what you're doing is not working. And so if you're willing to invest and be coached and, and told what to do and how to grow and, and do this, that, and the other thing, and six months or a year or a year and a half from now, you've got a business that is significantly earning more money Therefore, making the investment worth it. And by the way, after we stop working together, you continue to grow and operate in that fashion, then that would have turned out to be a good investment, right? So it is, it is a risk. It is a little bit, it is a leap of faith. So avoid the pitfall, the potential pitfall of stalling your progress by being maybe overly concerned about investing in ways that you can grow what you're doing. Well, that's true. And the thing, I guess the a uh, cautionary note that I would say is that it's very easy today with social media and fancy websites to be fooled. And there's plenty of people who say, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a million dollar coach. I'll teach you how to have a million dollar business. But if you look and dig deep, they, they haven't even created a six figure business. They, they read a lot of books, went to a lot of seminars and they can talk a good game. But I think you really, before you work with somebody, you want to make sure that the person who's teaching you what it is that you want to learn I just think it's a. I think it's an easy prerequisite to assume that they've at least done it for themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That it's not obviously just an issue of investing in something that sounds good or helpful. Sounds like it'll meet the needs that you have, but you really have to do your due diligence to make sure that 
you are learning from people who have done it. That's that is true. And it's so easy today with social media and Google and things like that. And I, I mean, goodness, it, I mean, look how many people post reviews to Yelp and every uh, all over Amazon. <laughs> I mean, it's very easy for people to say what they really think. Uh, so it's, it's you know, you can open up a business and, you know, hey, it's a free country if you want to start a business doing that. But you can only do it for so long, in my opinion, before you know, somebody's going to get into trouble and say, hey, how did you get through this? Oh, well, I think you should do this. Well, what do you mean you think? What did you do <laughs> when you got in this jam? What did you do? You know what I mean? So uh, it's going to be hard to hide after a period of time. So Jim, speaking of learning from people who've done it, I'd love for you to share what the different ways are that folks can get a copy of Just Say Yes, Create a Dream Business and Live Your Dream Lifestyle. I would love to uh, give everybody a free copy. We're kind of uh, still in, in um, premiere mode, if you will. So just say yes, book.com. If you go to that website, you can place an order. The, the book itself is free. We'll, I will just ask that you pay six ninety five for shipping and handling. And whether it's in the United States or abroad, it's still six ninety five. And um, we'll generally have that in the mail within 24 hours of you placing your order at justsayyesbook.com. Thank you so much, Jim. That's very generous. And we talked about a little bit of a sampling of the book today, but there's obviously so much more. It's, yeah, I, again, I'm really, really proud of the book. And um, it's one of those things where people are like, well, I don't know. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I just said before, well, if what you're doing now isn't working, maybe you should uh, learn from somebody who's, who's actually created a dream business and is able to you know, live life on, on their own terms. And also someone who has been very willing to share experiences that were required along the way to get there. Yeah, I'm an open book, so to speak. Pardon the pun. I really appreciate that. I'd also like to share a few other resources that listeners can go to to get some more hands-on experience, actually, with your guidance. But before I do that, is there anything else that you want to add along the lines of the theme of Just Say Yes? Yeah, you know, people that follow me know that I'm a big fan of hourglasses, and I, I like to look at those because it always reminds me that the sand is always running out. And people that are when eyes, as we talked about earlier, sooner or later, I, I know a gentleman today who just shared that he has prostate cancer. And I mean, there's could be a lot of things that could and might go wrong in your life. And waiting and just waiting for things before you're going to take that shot is just not good. You know, I, 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 it's hard for me to believe I'm 59 already. I mean, life's going by in a blur. <laughs> so I would encourage anybody, if you got a dream, you know, maybe you're in a job you don't like, maybe you're underemployed or, or you're, you have started a business, but you're, you're barely making it. There, there are options, there's alternatives, but the thing is you, you have to take action and, and uh, just say yes, I think is, probably one thing that you could do. And, and you know, hope, hopefully my book will inspire you in some way. Jim, I want to thank you so much. It's always such a joy and a pleasure to connect with you and to be able to just be part of you sharing your expertise with other people. You have such a great quality of putting people at ease and at the same time challenging them. So I encourage listeners to delve into your books and also take advantage of some of the other wonderful resources you offer, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. So there are a variety of ways that you can experience Jim's guidance firsthand. One way is through his Dream Business Academy. And the next academy actually is coming up after the summer. 
It'll take place in Providence, Rhode Island on September 27th, 28th, and 29th. You can get more information and also sign up by going to dreambusinessacademy.com. And I also encourage you to learn about Jim's Dream Coaching and Mastermind program by going to dreambizcoaching.com. That's dreambizcoaching.com. And Jim, are you still doing one-on-one coaching? I do. As part of Dream Business uh, Coaching and Mastermind, I do. Yep. Every, everybody that's in that program, there's three different coaching levels, but everybody, in addition to the group coaching, gets one-on-one time with me uh, every single month. Wonderful. I'd like to invite listeners as well, if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, please share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Till next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.